Amen. Thanks, Jeff. You should grab your Bible and open to the book of 1 Peter. We're in 1 Peter chapter 2. And so if you uh, don't have your Bible with you, that's okay because you probably have a smartphone or a tablet and you can follow along that way as well. If you use version, uh, we have a live event there. You can link and see an outline there. Um, and so I would encourage you to do that. So yesterday, for the last 24 hours, we have been reading God's word in this place. And uh, Brenda started us at 7 a.m. yesterday morning, and a whole bunch of you read straight through till 7 o'clock this morning. And it was, it was powerful. God's word went forth from this place verbally. His word filled this room, filled this building. Um, and I think everyone who read was blessed tremendously. And so we're so grateful for that experience. Um, and just to know that our church is a church that loves God's word. Also, our, our coffee bar over here is uh, not quite completed yet, but it will be. At some point, we're going to have a coffee bar uh, preview night where you can come and, and, and let our staff uh, of volunteers bless you with free coffee drinks. So that will happen, and keep, keep that in mind. All right, you probably all wonder why I'm holding a bottle of fabric softener. Um, I don't normally walk around with a bottle of fabric softener, uh, but I, I do this because I got to be honest, I love downy fabric softener. Like, like I, I, it's not, I mean, it's my favorite. It's my favorite fabric softener. Others don't come close. I, I love the smell of it. In fact, I'm just going to do, smell that right now. It's amazing. And n- none of this, uh, you know, the, the original one, none of this spring whatever scent. I need the original one. Clarissa will sometimes pick up something that's like, you know, snuggle or one of those other, you know, imitation brand, fabric softeners, or heaven forbid, it would be some generic brand, right? Uh, But one thing I love about downy fabric softeners is I love when I get a shirt out of the dryer and I put it on, and I just, I I just like all day long, I'll just, I'll just reach down and smell it, you know? I just, man, it smells so good. I get so excited about it all day long. It like, it just permeates all my clothes, and I love it. Now, sometimes, once in a while, I'll be doing laundry and I'll leave a shirt sitting in the washer too long and then it'll get hung up to dry and I'll put that, after it dries, I'll put it on and all day long, I just smell a stink, you know, like a musty, horrible smell. What stinks? And then I, you know, I'll do this and I realize it's me. I stink, right? <laughs> I've been driving myself crazy because there's a smell that, that permeates everything. Um, you know, smells like fabric softener, or must, they permeate our clothes in the same way as Christians, there's something that should permeate our lives. As those, if you're a follower of Jesus here today, there's something that should permeate your life just like a smell permeates our clothing, and it's the cross of Jesus. The cross should saturate our lives. The lifestyle of the cross of Jesus should saturate all of my life. This is essentially what Peter told us a couple of weeks ago when we were in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. This verse that we looked at a couple of weeks ago set the tone for everything we're going to talk about today. It says this, Peter says to the Christians, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. The cross should permeate every aspect 
of your life. Essentially what Peter has said, and we saw this last week, is that our goal as followers of Jesus is to make the cross look good, to make the gospel look good. This good news, that's our job. We live our lives in light of the cross. We do this by allowing the cross to saturate every aspect of our lives. Now, Peter was a pretty logical writer, and he has three ideas about how this cross saturates our life. The first one we looked at last week, he says, you can let the cross, you can make the gospel look good by submitting to the governing authorities. And, uh, and if you want me to open up that can of worms, you'll just have to go back and listen to last week's sermon for what that means. In a couple of weeks, actually in the new year, we're going to come back to our series in First Peter, and we're going to look about what it means to make the gospel look good in our marriages and, and with our spouses. But today... Peter is going to tell us that we make the gospel look good when we submit to our masters. Now, you think, wait a minute, Dave. I'm not a slave. I don't have a master. But I would propose that submitting to your master, as we're going to read in the text today, is comparable for you and I to our modern terms of employment. The cross should saturate every aspect of our lives, including our work lives. We should make the gospel look good. And what it means is it means allowing the cross of Jesus to permeate every aspect of our work life. Well, so how does this work? How does this work? Well, most of us think, you know, how do I let the cross saturate my work life? Most of us think, hey, you know, I can't go around at work and beat people over the head with the Bible, even if you have a giant Bible like mine, right? Yeah, I can't do that. I'll get in trouble. I can't go and tell people about the gospel at work. I'll get in trouble for that. What's fascinating is when Peter talks about how the cross saturates our lives, especially our work lives, he has something different in mind. And in order for the cross to saturate our work lives, we must first of all, we must do four things. And that's what Peter is going to tell us in the text. The first thing we have to do in order for the cross to saturate our work lives is to work hard and work well. Work hard and work well. That's the first thing you need to know. Look at verse 18. This is where we jump off of in our text today. First Peter 2, 18. He says, slaves, submit yourselves to your masters, with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Now, you think, okay, wait a minute. Is Peter endorsing slavery? Like, did he just tell slaves to just go ahead and submit? We freak out about this because the only thing we hear in our minds when we think of slavery is 19th century American slavery. We can't hear the word slave in any other context because it was so brutal and horrible. But the early church had a very different idea of what slavery was because in the ancient Near Eastern world, slavery was very different than anything we would know today. Um, in fact, really, the, in the early church, they had such a wide variety of people from different social stratus. They had wealthy people and poor people. They had slaves and non-slaves. The church had citizens and non-citizens. The early church broke down barriers. 
the earthly church just cut through social barriers because everyone came to Jesus on the same footing. They all came to him. And so in the ancient Near East, even slaves were very different than what we had in mind. A slave is much more like an employee in today's modern terms. Think of uh, Alfred from Batman, you know, like Batman. You think that would be kind of the ancient Near Eastern version of a slave. Someone who was welcomed into the family. Someone who was often trusted. Um, in fact, Abraham entrusted his slave, his chief slave, with the uh, object of going and finding a bride for his trusted and precious son. Uh, slaves were very different in the ancient Eastern world. And what's most importantly for us to note is most of the time, slaves were paid. Slaves in the ancient world were paid. They were expected to be able to collect their money and purchase their freedom at some point in the future. And this is very different from what we think of when we think of slavery. It's much more comparable to modern day employment than ancient slavery. In fact, if you have ever signed a contract with an employer of any kind, you can equate yourself with an ancient Near Eastern slave because you have put yourself in the position to have a contract. So, it's very fair for us to come to this text today when Peter tells slaves to submit and to respect their masters, for us to put ourselves right in their shoes and say, how do I let the cross saturate my work life? How do I do this? Well, right away in the text, we have context for this, and right away we see a couple of things. The first way we respect our employers and submit is by working hard. And we do this out of respect for our bosses. Listen, you know and I know, when you go to work, it is very easy to justify laziness, isn't it? You look all around you, and what do we do? We compare ourselves constantly to our fellow employees. We look around, we see other people, we say, uh, you know, we notice the minimum level that they're doing, and we strive to achieve just a little bit better than the minimum. The minimum. Uh, oftentimes, in, in our in situations, we don't work hard. How many times are you sitting at work looking at Facebook, right? You know, how, well, everyone looks at Facebook. All we have to do is think for two seconds about what it means to work hard. We think, oh, well, I deserve a break. Everyone else is slacking. Peter is telling us we, that, that we submit and respect our boss, our employer. We submit and do this. And when we do this, we let the cross saturate our lives. Because the cross has saturated our lives, we do this. So we work hard, but we also work well. Don't cut corners. We don't do half-hearted work. Your work, because your work reflects on your boss or your employer. Oftentimes in some of our large companies, uh, your boss is in charge of an entire department. And your boss is in charge of making that department do well. And so when you work hard, you help your entire department and you make your boss look good. Work well. Lastly, we should also work hard, work well, and that means speaking of our boss well. Ripping your boss might seem to be the, the thing to do. Everyone in this room, no matter if you own the company, you still answer to someone somewhere. And the easy thing to do is when someone is above us to rip them because everyone does it. But not followers of Jesus who have allowed the cross to saturate their lives. See, the reality is you and I don't understand the scope 
or the responsibility or what it's like to be the person who is over us. And we find something that we, that we should find something that that person is doing well and speak well of him or her. Well, now, this brings up the point, what if you have a lousy boss? I mean, a lot of people have really lousy bosses. At some point in your life, you have had a lousy boss. I've had a lousy boss. What happens if you're like this? Well, in the context of 1 Peter, masters could be really kind. You think about uh, um, almost a, a father loving his favored child. Masters could be kind, but masters could also be cruel. They could be harsh, like an abusive father. Peter's response is, it doesn't matter. Work hard and work well. If the cross is going to saturate your life, this is how it should come out. In order for the cross to saturate our work lives, we have to work hard and work well. But there's a second thing that Peter tells us. If we're going to let the cross saturate our work lives, the second thing that we need to know today is that we need to work for a reward. If the cross saturates our lives, our work lives, we're working for a reward of our true master, Jesus. Look at verse 19. Peter says, For it's commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he's conscious of God. But how's it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. See, you and I are slaves in reality of God. And he's the one we're, we're pleasing. Uh, as my family can attest, and my wife in particular, I love commendation. I like for someone to say, Dave, great job. I have no, no greater joy, I think, in life than someone telling me that. In fact, I, I think I've told you this many times. If, if I finish a project, you know, like we just remodeled our kitchen, so there was a lot of projects that came to a conclusion. I love to just sit there at the end of the project and like just stare at it and wait for someone to walk in and say, Dave, you did a fantastic job, right? I love commendation. I love it. I just love it. In the Gospels, Jesus tells a story about a master who says, well done, good and faithful servant. And that is the image that you and I are going to stand before our true boss one day. We're going to stand before him and, we're, and he is going to say to us, he could, our greatest reward, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear. When you and I are working for a different master, when we're submitting to our earthly bosses, our employers, whoever is over us, we in reality are submitting to our higher master, Jesus. And when we're working for our higher master, Jesus, it changes how we view hardship. Because if you, know, if you suffer at work for doing what is right, which will happen, God is watching and he'll say, well done. Exam just for an example, think about you're at work and someone asks you to do something that you know to be unethical. And you know it. And it doesn't matter that anybody else in your company would do it. You know it's not right. And in the end of the day, it will be bad for the company you work for if you do this. But the pressure's on. If you refuse, if you do what is right, you will suffer. And you know it. But what we do when we suffer like this is we entrust ourselves to our true master. 
because our real boss is watching and he's saying, well done. Flip the script, Peter says. If you suffer for doing what's right, that's commendable to your real boss. If you suffer for doing what's wrong, if you do that, there is no commendation now or later. You see, the reality is you and I are saturated with the cross. We carry around the aroma of the cross. And when we aren't saturated with the aroma of the cross, we do something very different for the gospel. When I was first in ministry, I, I ministered in a, in a uh, more rural community here in Iowa, and I was their youth pastor. And, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was young, but I was figuring it all out. And I remember I needed to meet with my uh, team of youth sponsors. And so I tried to one-on-one to get them to come in and so we could just sit down and talk about what you, the, the youth ministry there was like. And I remember uh, this, this one guy came into my office and, and he, uh, he was a farmer. And so he could come in in the middle of the day, it worked through his schedule. I remember he came in, he sat down in my office and I remember thinking, what stinks? Something is horrible. Well, come to find out, uh, he was a hog farmer. And uh, if you understand hog farmers, they smell like hog manure a lot. In fact, it's hard to get uh, that smell off them. And uh, I remember talking to him later. We became fast friends. And uh, in many ways, he's like a father figure to me. And uh, later on, I, uh, years later, I told him that story. And, uh, and he goes, really? I stunk? He goes, I didn't know that. He goes, I... I actually was trying to impress you, Dave, so I took off my hog boots and put on my good shoes, you know? (laughs) All right, so here's the deal. You are going to be saturated with something. If you are not saturated with the cross, the reality is just plain and simple, you stink. You stink. The people aren't smelling the aroma of the cross in your lives. They're smelling stink, and you're making the gospel look bad. If the cross saturates your work life, you are working for the reward of another boss, Jesus. And that takes us to the third thing that Peter is telling us today. The third thing is, if, if the cross saturates our lives, we are working, in reality, by a model that was left for us. We're working by a model. And it takes us to the next verses. Who's, the mo- who's a model in your life? Who's a model? Maybe it's a model in Christ. Someone who taught you to follow Jesus. Someone who you watched and watched how he or she followed Jesus. And you said of her, that's what I want to be like. Maybe, you're, maybe there's a model at work. There's someone in your profession who you wanted to be like. So you modeled your behavior after her or after him. There's someone in all of our lives. We all have a model. I think of the first pastor under which I served when I was in full-time ministry. His name's Mike Shields. He's a pastor in Minnesota now. And Mike is a great man. And Mike has shaped the way I do ministry. Uh, You know, I was young and raw and had no idea how to do ministry. And I watched him. And I watched the Holy Spirit move in his life. And I watched how he did stuff. And to this day, certain things I do are because Mike did it that way. He was my model. The model which you and I are supposed to work, the ultimate model is Jesus. He set the model for you and I. Now look at the text because we're going to see what this model looks like. Peter's very clear. 
He says, to this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. You know, it's very interesting that Jesus suffered. If indeed he is our model, it should not surprise us if suffering comes our way. In fact, when suffering comes our way, we should look at him as our model and embrace how he dealt with it. He becomes our model to handle suffering. This in particular happens in our employment situation when we're wrongly accused. If you work anywhere or do any job long enough, you will be wrongly accused of something. Look how Jesus handled this. Verse 22, because he committed no sin. Jesus lived his entire life without committing a single sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. You know, you and I can't say that same thing. We can't say, there's no one in this room who can say that they are perfectly sinless, like Jesus could say. And yet, we are growing in Christ to be more and more like him. So there are times when we have done nothing wrong, just like Jesus. And when we do this, uh, when we live more and more like Christ, when people accuse us of doing wrong, we should be above reproach. Someone should say, you know, I know that Dave's been accused of doing something wrong, but that doesn't add up. Because the Dave that I know, he would never do that. Can that be said of you? If Jesus is our model, we're becoming like him, and you, we and I, in our work lives, should live beyond reproach because the cross has saturated every part of our lives, in particular our work lives. And when you're accused of doing wrong, something doesn't add up. Now, there are times when we will be wrongly accused. And if Jesus is our model, look what we do. If he's our model, look at the text in 1 Peter, verse 23. When they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Think about Jesus for just a moment because the image that Peter has in mind was Peter was standing at the foot looking at Jesus, seeing Jesus. He had just denied Jesus. And yet he was watching. He had just watched his Lord and Master be beaten and he suffered. I think Peter has in mind here this incredible and terrible suffering that he had, that, that Jesus went through. And this incredible and terrible suffering. I guess we lost lights. Hey, Nick, I think you flipped uh, the wrong switch there, buddy. Um, maybe? There you go. We're back. Peter had this in mind of Jesus. He had this image in mind of Jesus being beaten beyond what you and I will ever suffer. And Jesus uttered nothing. He could have lashed out. He could have looked around at the people beating him and named every one of their sins. He could have said a word and humiliated them. He could have set the record straight, but he didn't. He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. When you suffer at the hands of those who treat you unjustly, remember your model, Jesus. And remember that he entrusted himself to the Father. You see, we find comfort knowing that ultimately 
the just judge will set things right. When he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Because Jesus knew what Peter is telling us now. Is that when we realize that Jesus is our model, when we realize that we have a higher boss than whatever employment situation we are in, we can handle unjust suffering because we're entrusting ourselves to the right judge who ultimately will set everything right. And that takes us to our last point that Peter is telling us today. The fourth thing that you want to know about what a cross-saturated work life looks like is, is that we work with love. Specifically, loving our oppressors. Again, look at verse 24. Peter reminds them in the context of employment, he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Who did Jesus love? He loved the very people who were reviling him, who were spitting on him, who were beating him to, within, to the end of his life. And he loved his enemies. And you and I, in our own sin, the Bible tells us, had a part in putting Jesus on that cross. Paul says that you and I were enemies of God. And if there was ever an enemy of Jesus, it was you and me. But guess what? Jesus loved us anyway. And this is in the essence of what the gospel is. We talk about making the gospel look good, but we have to understand what the gospel is. The gospel is simply this. We who were sinners were so loved by God that he became one of us and he put himself in our place. And Jesus who came to be one of us, who put himself in our place, who died the death we should die, defeated death. He rose from the grave and he sent his Holy Spirit among us. And this is the good news of the gospel. And this is what he reminds us of right here. He himself, he bore our sins in his body on the tree. He did this for us. Look at verse 25 then. For you were like sheep going astray but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus loved you and found value in you, and he did what he had to do to create a pathway to God. Some of you might be wondering why on earth we call this place the Avenue. Uh, it's, it's a short but neat story. Our, uh, our, our church had uh, consulted someone from our, from our national office. His name is Steve Johnson, and and uh, just to help us figure out how were we going to do this massive project in front of us? Could we even do this thing? Could we even purchase a building? Could we even create a space like this? And so I was talking with Steve and he said, Dave, why do you want to do this? Because just building a building is not enough reason to do this. And he said, why do you want to do this? And so I proceeded to tell him the story that I told you all way back in January. Way back in January, I reminded you of a story of four friends whose buddy was paralyzed. He, he couldn't walk and they needed to get him to Jesus. They put him on a mat and the four friends carried him from another town. Right, there's no 
car to put him in. They carried him all this way. They got to the town where Jesus was at, and Jesus was in a, at a home inside teaching and doing miracles and working. And they got, and the, and the line was so far out the door, they knew they would never get their friend to Jesus. So they climbed up on the roof of the house. They dug a hole in the roof of the house. I hope they had homeowner's insurance. They dug a hole in the roof of the house and they lowered their friend. And as I was talking to Steve and telling him this story, I said, their friends, these friends, did whatever they could to create a pathway to Jesus. They created an avenue to get him to Jesus. And Steve stopped me and we were on the phone together and he goes, that's the name of your new building. He goes, it's the avenue. And I was like, oh, it's brilliant. Good job, Steve. Uh, it's brilliant because this is just a tool, right? You know, the avenue is nothing in particular great about it. I mean, there's some nice looking avenues out there, right? But it's just a tool. The goal is Jesus. He's the goal. And that's how we got here. And Steve said this. You and I, friends, this thing would have never have happened for us had God not moved in our hearts to love people. The goal is Jesus on the one side. On the other side is the people who we love and care about. And the avenue is just a tool to bring them together. We love people. It drives what we do at this church. This is the same love that drove Jesus to find us who were wandering like sheep, just meandering, lost. Jesus created an avenue. He became one of us and died for us. And the same love that drove him should drive us. And that's how we allow the cross. That's what happens when the cross saturates our lives in particular, our work lives. For a moment, just stop and think about your work environment. Think about the people you work with. Even if you're self-employed, you work with people. All of us work with people. Some of us wish we didn't work with people, right? But uh, everybody works with people. Think about them for a second. Do you love those people? Do you care about them? Do you want, like Jesus to create a pathway for healing in their lives. Because that pathway is Jesus. This is just a tool and it's driven by love. Love with the, for the people with whom we work. That's what a cross-saturated life looks like. In 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says this, we are, he's speaking of those followers of Jesus, the church, we are these people, we're the Roma of Christ to those who are perishing. Most of us in this room, many of us, spend the largest chunk of our week at work. We spend hours upon hours with people at work. And in the world of, an uncertainty, of uncertainty, in a world of fear, you have a chance to be an aroma of Christ to the world around you. And this is how you make the gospel look good. When the cross has saturated your life, you work hard and you work well. You work for a reward. You work by your model, Jesus, and you work with love. And this is what it means to work with cross saturation. The cross has saturated your life. Um, my dad was a CPA for many years. Uh, he worked in town, had a lot of relationships in town, uh, and he was partner in a firm that he started. And for many years, he worked as a CPA. When he died three years ago, 
um, at his funeral and, and at the visitation, a lot of his coworkers, his employees, his fellow partners came up to me and they said two things about my dad. One, your dad loved cheeseburgers, Dave. <laughs> that was a common theme. He loved cheeseburgers. And the man did. Everywhere we went, he got a cheeseburger. Where do you want to go for dinner, Dad? I don't know. Let's get a cheeseburger. Shocker, right? Um, Love cheeseburgers. More importantly than that, though, the second thing they said about him was, Dave, your dad, he's a man of integrity. One person said, your dad is the most honest person I have ever known. You see, my dad's relationship with Jesus, the cross, permeated how he worked it permeated, it saturated his entire life. My dad wasn't perfect. <laughs> he had his issues, but the cross saturated his life. And my dad didn't even have to be Tim Tebow to make this happen, right? Like, he didn't have to be on one knee, you know, all the time. My dad just worked hard, and he worked well, and he knew who his master was, Jesus. And he followed that model, and he loved the people around him. Friends, will you allow the cross to saturate your work life? Will you allow this gospel, this good news of Jesus to saturate your work life? And will you allow, will you make the gospel look good? As we talk and launch this avenue, as we love people and we love Jesus, my prayer for you today is that the avenue wouldn't just stop here that the avenue would lead to Jesus in your life and Jesus in turn, the cross of Christ would saturate every aspect of your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We come to you, Father, because we're grateful for the cross. We can't fathom that someone would love us that much to give up his life to suffer horribly. But it's true. Let that forever change us. The cross is wonderful. Let it transform our lives, even our work lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we worship and celebrate this wonderful cross?